Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the first letter of John, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3, taken from our second scripture reading this morning. And verses 20 and 21. 1 John, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And our subject this morning is heart and conscience. That will be our subject in this uh, gospel message this morning. Well, these uh, words are very uh, intriguing words in the first letter of the Apostle John. And, uh, well, we often look together at this letter in our gospel message because it is so full of the gospel and it is so full of uh, Christ. And uh, many of you, of course, will be very aware that John was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the 12 disciples who walked with the Lord while he was on the earth, and in fact, the Apostle John had a more privileged relationship with the Lord, one of uh, three disciples who were the inner circle, you could say, Peter, James, and uh, John, and they were with the Lord at vital uh, points in his ministry. Uh, They were there at the Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, there at uh, Gethsemane before Christ was crucified, Peter, James, and John. The Lord confided in them more than the others, it seems. And John was described specifically as the one whom Jesus loved. John, it seemed, had a a special relationship with the Lord. And John was highly favored. He has, of course, the great privilege of closing the Bible, writing the final words of Scripture. The book of Revelation is... uh, Uh, the account of a vision given to John, this same John. So uh, John is uh, very significant in the New Testament and very important. And uh, these words that we shall consider this morning, they are very important for us. So uh, verses 20 and 21, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Now, at first glance, these words can seem quite confusing. What do these words mean? Well, uh, the Apostle John, just to uh, lay down some context, is uh, in this part of the letter really uh, talking about uh, assurance. How can we uh, approach God with confidence? How can we approach God with boldness? That is the issue that the Apostle is addressing. For if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And the word heart here in this context, many of the best Bible commentators, certainly the old Bible commentators, agree that the word heart here actually specifically means the conscience The conscience, if our conscience condemns us not, 
then have we confidence toward God. And uh, this really is going to be the focus of our message this morning. The conscience. The conscience. The conscience is a huge subject. So much could be said about the conscience and the role that the conscience plays. But I'm just going to give you, as always, some very simple applications about the conscience, which I'm sure you all know, but we're so apt to forget. But the conscience, well, we all have a conscience. That's the uh, very simple starting point for us. We all have a conscience, every one of us. And we are all affected and influenced by our consciences, by the conscience. A good number of people, even in this society, live their lives according to conscience. Conscience is their guide throughout their life. They look to their conscience in every major decision. If something goes against their conscience, they won't do it. If something doesn't go against their conscience, they will do it. Their conscience influences them. The conscience governs their lives. So uh, the conscience, just to make a very simple start, is very important to a great number of people. The conscience, of course, has a great impact on, uh, on a person's well-being. A person's well-being is very uh, dependent upon the conscience. Perhaps that's why the heart is mentioned here in connection with the conscience. Because the conscience really determines whether we are happy or whether we are sad, whether our hearts are full of joy or full of despair. It's so dependent on the conscience. Our emotional health depends greatly on the state of the conscience, whether the conscience is heavy or whether it is light, whether the conscience is troubled or whether it is untroubled. That affects the state of our hearts, the conscience. And so this is very true. Now, of course, there are a number of people who will debate and who will contest, argue that there is no such thing as uh, a conscience. And, uh, well, a big part of the reason why they say that is uh, because, uh, well, you cannot see the conscience with your own eyes. And so people say, well, there's no such thing as a conscience if you were to open up the body you would see your physical organs, your heart, your lungs, your brain. There's no conscience. The conscience doesn't exist. But of course, well, uh, the Bible teaches us that the conscience is uh, the invisible part of your body. It's part of your soul. The Bible is very clear on that. The Bible teaches us that there are two parts to every person. There is the outward part, the flesh and blood. Our physical body, that's one part of us as people. But that's not the only part of us. We're not just flesh and blood. There is an invisible part to us. There is the inner man. There is the soul. And the conscience is part of the soul. The soul, of course, we could speak at length about the soul. The soul is invisible, but it is the most important part of us. It's more important than the physical part of us. In fact, the body cannot live without the soul. If the body has no soul, it's dead. That's what happens when we die. The soul departs from the body. The body needs the soul. The soul doesn't need the body to live. 
The body needs the soul. So that's the most important part of us. The soul, the invisible part. And the conscience is part of the soul. Now another reason why people do not like to believe in the existence of the conscience is because, uh, well, the conscience is one of the great proofs that we have been created by God. The conscience, it proves that we have been created, that we haven't simply evolved by chance. If we have evolved by chance, where did the conscience come from? What would be the purpose of the, of the conscience? Evolution doesn't need uh, a conscience, survival of the fittest. That does not require a conscience enabled to operate. In fact, uh, a conscience actually uh, hinders uh, survival of the fittest. The conscience imposes a law, a moral law upon us as human beings. It imposes a law. And of course, that implies that there is a lawgiver. We have been created by a lawgiver. Laws don't just appear out of nothing. And well, we see laws everywhere in creation, in the universe. Laws of physics, laws of motion, laws of gravity, evidence that there is creation, of course. And there's a law within us, a moral law. God's law has been written on our hearts. This is what we read in the letter of the Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Romans, that God's law is written upon our hearts and our consciences bear witness. That's the role of the conscience. The conscience informs us of God's law. Every single one of us, we have God's law written on our hearts. So therefore, there is a sense in which uh, every man knows the law of God, even if they've never been to a church, even if they're not religious, even if uh, you're an atheist, you still have the law of God written on your heart. Of course you do. You don't have to be a religious person or a Christian to know that it's wrong to kill somebody. You don't need to be a religious person to know that it's wrong to steal. You don't need to be a Christian or a religious person to know that it's wrong to lie. You don't need to be a religious person. Why not? Because upon your own heart, there is a conscience. The law of God is written there. So you don't need to go to church to know these things. It's written upon your hearts. The conscience, every single one of us has a conscience. The law of God within us. And so this is very important. And by the way, the conscience, it responds only to the law of God. It's the law of God, which is its master, not the law of man. We live in an age where the morality of man and the morality of God is, is very different. Men will say that certain things are lawful and legal and that will clash with the word of God. Laws that are legal in the sight of man, they are illegal according to the word of God. And men will say that some things are good and commendable, but God will say it's evil. Well, the conscience is going to side with God. It's not going to side with man. It's not going to side with the laws that men make. The conscience is always going to be on the Lord's side. Because God has created the conscience 
And the conscience knows what is truly right and what is truly wrong. It cannot be deceived by the laws of men. The laws of men will try to redefine morality, but the conscience is always on the Lord's side. The conscience always knows what is truly right and what is truly wrong. So the conscience, well, it is uh, bound by the law of God, the law of the God who created it and put it in you. So the conscience works in this way. But the Apostle John, well, in these verses, he is pointing out how the conscience speaks to us. Because the conscience speaks to us in one of either two ways. Verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Those are the two ways in which the conscience speaks to us. It either condemns us or it condemns us not. So how is it with you? What is your conscience saying to you? Does your conscience condemn you? I've said many times, you know what I'm about to say, but I've said many times that it's the preaching of the Christian faith, the Christian religion, the gospel. That is the only one that troubles the conscience. You can listen to lots of other religions and religious talks. They won't trouble the conscience, at least not in any way, as the word of God does. It's only the Christian faith that troubles the conscience. And that is why people hate particularly the Christian faith. They don't want you to tell them about the gospel. They don't want you to tell them about sin. That troubles my conscience. Go away. I'll listen to anything else. I'll listen to Buddhism and Hinduism, but not the Christian faith. That uh, injures me within. That troubles my conscience. So don't tell me about this. It's the Christian faith that uh, makes people so angry and aggressive and intolerant. Because, of course, and this is the great reason, because we know that we've all broken the law of God. This is why our consciences are troubled when we hear the gospel, when we hear the law of God. Our consciences are troubled because we know we've broken the law of God. Of course, if we had never broken the law of God, if we had never lied, if we had never stolen, our conscience wouldn't be troubled. Our conscience would be quiet. But our conscience speaks because our conscience knows the truth. We have lied. We have stolen. We have dishonored the Lord. We have dishonored our parents. We have coveted and so on and so on. The conscience knows the truth about us. You know, uh, we cannot fool our consciences. You can fool everybody around you into thinking you're a good person. You've never done anything wrong. You can fool everyone around you. You can even fool yourself. Justify to yourself that the things I do are not wrong. You can fool other people. You can fool yourself. You can't fool your conscience. Your conscience will always speak the truth. Your conscience is not deceived. It will always tell you that what you are doing is wrong. And this is the nature of the conscience and the conscience. And this is very important to understand. The conscience never forgets. Oh, how much we would long to forget the sins of the past. 
things that we have done, things that we have seen, times we have been wicked and selfish, we've let our lusts and our passions get the better of us, how often we would love to forget our sins, but the conscience never forgets. It's a witness. It bears witness. It records all the things that we have done. You may try to forget all your sins. The conscience never forgets. And if we live in sin, the longer we live in sin, the heavier and heavier our conscience becomes. It records all of these things. It doesn't just let them go. The conscience. Well, again, you see how many things you can say about the conscience. But let me just go back to this passage because there's things that I wanted to say. And we read these uh, very intriguing words in verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. What does that mean? Well, even though our consciences are aware of the law of God and they keep a record of all our sins, there are things that our consciences don't understand about our sin. And they don't acknowledge about our sin. For example, sometimes we don't understand why we sin. We look at the things we've done in the past and you think to yourself, why did I do that? I don't understand why I was so selfish, why I was so evil. You can't really understand those things, but God does. Your conscience will condemn you, but God knows everything about your sin. God knows the true de depravity of your heart. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not you, but God does. God knows the depravity of your heart. Also, we don't know, your conscience doesn't know how our sin impacts others. How our sin impacts others. You know, uh, sometimes when a criminal in a court of law is judged to be guilty, before they are sentenced, an impact statement is read out to them. An impact statement telling them how much their crimes have impacted other people. The devastation that their crime has done in the lives of others. The distress, the despair. They didn't know that, of course, but an impact statement is read out to them. And that's the same with our sins. You don't know, your conscience doesn't know the great impact that your sin has on other people. It does have great damage to other people. It does have great effect. You don't know that. You know that you've sinned, but you don't know how your sin affects others. God knows that. God knows all things. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. This is part of what it means. Dear friends, if your heart condemns you, how much more must God, when he looks upon you, well, he sees all that sin, the holy God, he knows the full depth of your sin. He knows how great your sin is. But dear friends, there is that hope, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things 
that are pleasing in his sight. Well, dear friends, this is the apostle pointing us to the right way, the way in which our consciences will not condemn us. How can our consciences not condemn us? We have to be clear on this because some people read these verses and they get the wrong idea. Some people say, well, uh, okay, I know I've sinned. I understand that. I'll be good from now on. I'll just reform my ways. I'll leave this church building. I'll be good from now on. But dear friends, this is the thing. You could be as good as gold from now on until the end of your life, following the Ten Commandments to the best of your ability. And that would be a good thing, but that's not enough. That's not enough. Because all the sins that you have committed in the past, they need to be paid for. They need to be atoned for. They can't just be hidden by some uh, good deeds, one or two good deeds. They can't be swept under the carpet just like that. Your sins need to be paid for. And an eternal price is necessary. An eternal price. Because you've sinned against an eternal God. You've sinned against God. He is eternal. The price that God will accept is an eternal price. Not just your good works. Your sin needs to be paid for. And they must be paid with an eternal price. Your conscience knows that. You search your conscience it will tell you that your sins need to be paid for. So how do we pay for our sins? By keeping the commandments? No. There is one commandment that the Apostle John specifies, and it's this in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the commandment. Believe in Christ. He's the one who has paid the price for your sin. He's the one who has paid that eternal price because he's the eternal son of God. He is the incarnate God. And he's the only one who could have paid that price, borne away our sin. And he did it willingly. He did it gladly. The sinless son of God out of love for us. You know, this letter is full of the love of God, the love of Christ toward us. And in chapter 4, verse 10, John defines what that love looks like. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's what love is. You know, so many people, they don't want you to speak about the cross they don't want you to speak about sin and Christ dying for sin. That's a horrible thing. But this is where we find the love of God. This is how we know that God loves us truly. Because he sent his son to take away our sin. To pay the price for our sin. And dear friends, we must believe in that. When you believe in that, then your conscience will be at peace then your conscience will be at peace. You will never find any peace for your conscience if you don't trust in Christ. You could send yourself to a, a very tranquil place. This is what some people do. They want to find peace. 
I'll go to some desert island. I'll seclude myself somewhere and then I'll have peace. But dear friends, if your conscience is troubled, you'll never have peace. You can't escape your conscience. Where are you going to go to escape your conscience? Not to a desert island. Your conscience needs to be at peace. And it's only by trusting in Christ. It's only by believing in him. He has died for my sin. My sin is washed away. It's paid for. Then your conscience will have peace. Otherwise, there is no peace for those who turn away from the Lord. So, dear friends, this is the, uh, the theme here, the lessons that we learn. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Then you can appear before him. Then you can pray to him. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. These are wonderful words. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ, my final exhortation. You know, many people, they hear the gospel and uh, they sit in a church service and they can't wait to get out. They can't wait to get out of the church service and uh, to not listen to the things that are being said. But dear friends, well, I've already said it really. There is a preacher inside you. And that's your conscience. You can get away from this preacher. You can't get away from the preacher inside you. And your conscience is telling you, you have heard about Christ. You have heard about Christ so many times. What a terrible sin it is to keep rejecting him. That's what your own conscience is telling you. I don't even have to tell you that. If you go out of this place, I know you'll try and silence your conscience. You'll stick on the TV. You'll do something else trying to silence your own conscience. It won't be silenced, dear friends. It won't be silenced until you come to Christ. If you want your conscience to be silenced, go to Christ. Receive the forgiveness of your sin. And then your conscience will be at peace. Listen to your conscience. Your conscience believes in the word of God. May the Lord bless these things to us. Let us sing together our final hymn.